0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, as my friend Dr. Tedros always says. Uh, thank you for joining me today. Today, I have my good friend, Shannon DeConda with me from NamUs. Thanks for coming on the show today, Shannon. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> you came on a great day. Today is National Frozen Yogurt Day. Ooh, that sounds yummy. Although gelato is better. pray not better
1: for you, but so
0: much better. We have a place here um, just a little bit north of us in Fort Pierce, Uncle Carlo's Gelato. And it's a go-to. I just say, we're going to go to my uncle's. <laughs> Everybody knows what that means now. Well,
1: I'll come sit in your cozy office in that comfy looking chair, and then we'll go to the
0: uncle's house. I, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> I'm on my way. So um, I have to, full disclosure, I'm convalescing. I had surgery on Friday, and my husband did my hair this morning. So I'm going to just leave it at that.
1: So first of all, it looks great. I'm going to say I am no excuses. I was just lazy. You look great though.
0: Please. I want that.
1: I got the whole like hair
0: clip going on. It was nice. just easy day. I never learned how to do that. All right. That's not what they came here to hear today. They came to hear about <laughs> the E&M guidelines. <laughs> Yay! I'm so excited. Absolutely. So, so what's uh, This know? season on the show, um, we're kind of just decoding different parts of the CPT book. Mm-hmm. So uh, last week, Dr. C.J. Wolf came on and we talked about all the resources that are really in the CPT book, the anatomy, the terminology, the instructions that nobody ever reads. Um, and it was a great foundation and a great way to lead into the ENM guidelines that have changed so much over the last few years. Yes, they have. And if it wasn't for Namus, I don't know that I would have been <laughs> able to understand them as clearly. You were one of the forerunners to come out with education tools and promoting information, um, and so I thought maybe we could chat about some of the 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 pinnacle parts of the guidelines there that. Um, you know, are, are very helpful to those coders out there.
1: Absolutely. So I think, first of all, one of the things is why the guidelines changed, right? Um, I think going back to understanding, All right, let me rewind just a little bit further. Yeah. Yep. I think one of the things that we really have to make sure that every coder, every physician, everybody who has anything to do with coding understands is a difference between coding guidance and reimbursement policy. And I know you preach this all the time, but there is a huge fundamental difference in that shift. And until we understand the application of guidance and the application of payer policy, we really have this fundamental break. Now, when it comes to our EM guidelines, there are the guidelines. But yeah. there's still some variation and proof positive of that is prolonged services, right? So we yeah. have the AMA's ENM guidance on prolonged services and that prolonged rule of we're only going to use this portion of the rule according to AMA. But then CMS comes in and says, no, we're going to have our own G code. And this G code is going to use prolonged services differently. So again, that's the difference between coding guidance and payer
0: rules. So I I, remember um, back in 2000, way, way back, uh, Larry O'Day, he was an attorney who got published in Modern Healthcare Magazine. And I don't know if you remember that article. For me, it was like mind blowing. He had the, the 12 iron rules of Medicare. And two of those rules were just because it has a code doesn't mean you're going to get paid. And just because you got paid, doesn't mean you get to keep the money. And that to me is what defines payer guidance or coding guidance versus payer policy.
1: Absolutely. And I I think in thinking of that paradigm Mm -hmm. and thinking of this has nothing to do with what you asked me, by the way, um, and and thinking of enm cutting edge and everything i'm kind of matriculating to the g2211 and everything that's going on with this code and how it's in our enm section right now I, I this is where my mind is shaping shifting right now is how do we get there in understanding the difference between the rule it is all payer policy in this rule, because there is no real coding guidance, it's all payer specific. But one of the things I'm going to tell you that has completely been a trip up for me on this rule is we created a reference card on it. And when you go to the payer guidance on this, and you read the definition of the rule, we made our reference card more on the definition of the rule than on the examples they give. The examples have nothing to do with the definition. Mm-hmm. It's like who wrote these definition who wrote these examples examples they have nothing to do thing. with how is an ear infection without antibiotics? a serious problem. So I'm going around my elbow to talk about these e and guidance. Mm-hmm. We have to understand that there's always subjectivity. There's always different interpretations. So that's kind of what I wanted to come to is one of the things that we always try to make sure at NamUs that we do is explain there's always going to be subjectivity
0: in e Absolutely. And and that EM is to select the level of service for payment for today's work. That's something that I today I, providers and I, I know that's my favorite word. Providers and I, we, we we struggle because they'll tell me that, well, Christine, you know, you don't you're not clinical, so you don't understand that this condition can get much worse. No, no, I understand that. I'm simply trying to see. How bad was it today that required this level of service today to get paid? Not that, you know, it's not minimizing the patient's condition, but frankly, if they're doing a great job and they're doing the work and they're putting it into it, and the only thing that you have to say is thumbs up today, what is that worth today? And And not, go ahead. Yeah.
1: Well, and I was going to say, and if you want to tell me, well, you know, Christine, you are not clinical and you don't understand. You know what? I don't. So show me. And if you show me that third column of the MDM is called the risk of patient management. So when you document that on that note, miracles happen. And suddenly, we can count it towards the third column of the medical decision making. So you're absolutely right.
0: So Son- it comes- Tell, told me one time, Shannon, um, when you get to that moment, that the best way to get a good outcome is to say, okay, walk me through it because it's not here in documentation and, and this is what I'm basing my, my level on, but walk me through it so I can give you some feedback on opportunities to make that document powerful. Right. And I think it's fair to say that
1: 50 to 60% of encounters, in my personal opinion, are under documented. They're not overcoded. I think most of the time that a physician is in their head, they're documenting after the encounter, after Mm -hmm. the after after everything's occurred, and they're not documenting what they should be to really show that information about the patient. And that's why the risk of patient management doesn't come through. The today about that patient isn't as paramount as it should be in the documentation. Um, And I've said a thousand, go ahead. I was just going to say, I've said a thousand times, they view it as the homework of the encounter. And instead, if we recognize it's an extension of patient care, then Mm -hmm. maybe, just maybe we would get it as well as we get patient care.
0: I I have a, a lot of providers that struggle, and that's I think that's a good word. They struggle with their EMRs or their EHRs, whatever your preference is, electronic health or electronic medical records, um, because the medical the electronic medical record is a tool, and the tool has every option in it, but we don't always need every option or. Yeah maybe the story is better told from that your words your perspective and the providers get lost in this tool that they've got to just click all these buttons and and if there's a button for it we must have to click it and we must have to do that and it makes the sometimes that documentation so much worse i don't know about you but i've read you know 15 16 page notes and at the end of it i'm still scratching my head to think of why did the patient come in today? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, you
1: think back to the notes, and, and we've all we've all thought this and been there, but we go back to those notes of the good old dictated notes. And when a physician had to start from scratch and dictate the note, we knew exactly why they were there, exactly what was going on. But I think it's because, like you said, they weren't trying to force a square into a round hole. Um, They were working with a blank sheet of canvas every single time.
0: That is spot on. And I know that providers don't want to go back to the days of handwriting notes or we don't want them to go back to those days. Um, But maybe if we find a happy median with a way to allow them to speak that visit, then just all those different boxes that they're clicking and the macros that are going in, it, it, it's just becoming almost comical. Um, I know that you, we both do a lot of, of attorney work. And so many times I have attorneys that will give me a note and say, why is it he, she, or <sighs> prostate uterus, or uh, the patient denies and the patient reports. And it, it's so confusing with all right. of the different boxes that they're checking. Uh, and it the, the other thing that it leads to is that we sometimes, not we, but sometimes providers can actually confuse the electronic medical record and those that have the coding assist softwares in it, where it's simply a, if this, then this. But if the, if this is going in inappropriately, it's going to give the wrong answer. Right. And I'm seeing a lot of that.
1: And, you know, just like you're talking about, about, um, smart documentation software, you know, smart documentation is only as smart as you use it. You mm-hmm. know, it, smart documentation can create dumb documentation. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to use that taboo term that we have right now. AI, sorry, it, it could potentially, when we think of things like dictation, there is a potential that it could eventually have a good place. And Mm -hmm. here's what I mean by that. So many of you know, um, we, like a lot of other organizations, um, have a ask the expert type of a service that we do on our name as membership. So we are looking at different ways to streamline that process. There are software systems out there called knowledge base, Mm -hmm. where it will help through AI assistance to info gather, but it doesn't do it through Google, you feed it information
0: so like right. right,
1: we take our ENM auditing manual and we upload it we take the CMS claims processing manual and we upload it we input good data not google data and then it gives us this is what we think the answer is now you modify if we had that type of technology in an EMR, it's possible that AI could work with the dictation of a physician. Absolutely. It is possible. Now, that's a good way, like you said. Well, maybe they don't want to go back to dictating or handwriting. Well, wait a minute. Maybe dictating isn't a bad idea if it were integrated with the new tools of AI. I think that could be a good space to go into in the future of looking at Em, and especially thinking of where you want it to go at the beginning of this segment, which is where the new Em guidelines are. You know it is based on show us the complexity of the patient today. What is the risk of managing this patient? Then we think of that add on g twenty two eleven. Mm -hmm. of what it's supposed to be, um, (laughs) of managing the longitudinal complexity of that patient. And when you think of that all culminating together, you could really do it so much better by sitting here and talking and interacting. Then if you took it and had this magic little microphone that could sit in the room and do it while you're interacting with the patient and all created through AI to create a note, and that's where I think we could go with
0: healthcare that would be amazing. I And I agree with you. I think that when we hear AI, most of us think of chat GPT. Yes. We're not talking about that. That's a fun thing to play with every once in a while if you wanna create a funky email or a post on your Facebook. But um, when we talk about AI, we're really talking about inputting that good information into the software systems there. But it's got to come from, like you said, Shannon, it's got to come from the knowledge base. Instead of having programmers, we need programmers paired with CDI specialists. Mm -hmm. We need programmers paired with coding specialists. And not just a consultant, but someone who's paired with the programmer. So that when something is said, hypertension Hypertension could be mild, it could be moderate, it could be severe, it could cause death, it could be just mildly irritating and periodical, uh, anxiety-driven. All of that is important, not just hypertension. I think that's where programmers, they, you know, give me the word, hypertension equals this. No. Exactly. It's all over the place, right? Yep. So um, I think that's where the guidelines came in, was to describe the different types of conditions. And what I've had problems with, maybe not problems, that's not a good word, but where I've seen challenges is where um, coders, physicians are struggling to define the problem complexity today because yeah. they're looking for that equal. If this hypertension, it's this. Hypertension's a 214? I don't know. Is it? What did it look like today? Right? two one four. I get anxious already. Like, oh, (laughs) don't get anxious. Moderate equals average.
1: It's okay. But remember, but remember, you know, we go back to that lovely page 14 in the AMA documentation guidelines. And it reminds us just what you're saying that the diagnosis alone cannot define the level of risk of that patient. And exactly. So there is an EMR out there who will remain nameless in this conversation that drives their levels of service and and their EMR wizard based on diagnosis. You cannot do that.
0: But Shannon, the EMR that I bought is putting the wrong e code. Is that my fault? I mean, I uh, pay for the yes. subscription.
1: Whose oh. name is at the bottom of the claim form. And let me tell you something that EMR may say they're going to be there if you are ever audited. But um, think again. But on page 14, it clearly reminds us that that diagnosis, it cannot be the driving factor. So again, we have to make sure that what Christina is saying, it is how the actual status, the acuity, the chronicity, yes, it is really a word, chronicity, of that patient on that day, that is what drives the complexity of the patient. That along with the risk of managing that patient, those two together are what drive our level of service.
0: Absolutely. And and I think that that's really important for For everyone to understand that that you're not going to find that easy solution of this visit equals this. It's really going to come down to that chronicity, the problem complexity. What did you have to to evaluate today to get to that point? What are the facts? And how many facts did you have to look at?
1: And And no matter the complexity of the diagnosis, at some point we hope that diagnosis is going to be stabilizing. It's not always going to be in that acute threat to life or bodily function or that high level of severity. So you at some point, a new doctor, if it does <laughs> exactly, so at some point, at least column one is going to shift from high acuity.
0: Yes. And, you know, I had that talk last year with some of my inpatient providers that were very worried that the new guidelines were not going to allow them to um, report the subsequent inpatient encounters all the way through as a 99233. I'm like, well, now I have new guidelines to look at. So, um, according to this, my codes should become minimal as we go forward. So, they might start as a 233. But we hope that they improve to a 232, maybe even a two, three, one before you decide to send them home. And right. even CMS adjusted their work RVUs to, to show the providers like, listen, we want you to pay attention here. We're not out to 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 minimize your reimbursement for this, but we want you to do it right. We want the story to be told correctly and not that you had a dying patient that you sent home on the last right. day, right? Exactly.
1: So let me ask you a question, Christine, your podcast. I'm going to throw you a question. Okay. Um, and by the way, before I throw it at you, I'm going to tell you there is no this is right or this is wrong answer. It's completely an opinion based question um, because the guidelines are great. When we have an e and and we have a patient that has inherent complexity, because let's use the example of patient comes in with fracture and they have diabetes. We mm-hmm. have inherent complexity because of the diabetes. Um, we have longitudinal care, you get where I'm going with this, longitudinal uh-huh. care for that diabetes. Now, are providers wanting to consider adding on G2211? But here's my question to you. Do we also get to count the increased complexity on the e because our provider did talk about it in the ENM or do we now have to carve out that complexity in the ENM because we're adding on the G2211 and I'm happy to tell you what my opinion is before you answer if you want but I'm also happy to hear your opinion first whichever you prefer
0: well my knee jerk is what's the specialty that's that's doing this first uh, I I think that not to isolate any particular specialty, specialties. But if it's my primary care that is also reviewing that fracture and monitoring my diabetes, which may be doing this because I might've had steroids, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. I might have a course of antibiotics. My diabetes might need to be watched even though I'm a good girl, I don't eat cake that's a lot. Oh, I, do. I ate a lot of cake. But my diabetes is good. It's on point. But my doctor says, you know, especially during this time, any fluctuation because of the fracture or physical therapy, I started physical therapy yesterday. Oh, <gasps> physical torture. That's what it should be called. That's what PT it should be for. But I mean, <laughs> that I could feel I could feel myself tensing up, I could feel that I and that might contribute as well to managing that that whole scenario. For that, I might, I might expect to see, you know, please call the office if you experience anything like shortness of breath, excessive sweating, increased thirst, or your blood sugars go up, or the ortho changes meds, or 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 return to the office, call the office, make an appointment. That to me shows that longitudinal intention that they are wanting to make sure that that they are the the provider on record that takes care of this in that, flip the story. If it's the ortho, then, again, what did the ortho tell me? How bad is this injury? What is the prognosis? Am I going to be there six months, a year? Am I going to be there six weeks? I mean, there's so many factors. Like you said, it's so subjective that –
1: well, but what I'm saying is, do you have, is it double dipping to include that complexity in the ENM and and build a G2211? Am, you see what I'm saying? I see what you're saying. Because in my opinion, we're not allowed to ever double dip. Right. Oh, exactly. Now, there's nothing in the guidelines that says that's double dipping, by the way. But where have we ever ever been able to get away with double dipping. So in my
0: opinion, that's every bit of double dipping. We need more guidance. CMS, if you're listening to this little podcast, (laughs) please, we need more guidance Um, from a compliance perspective. I mean, totally, I'm panicking because do I do I encourage the use? Do I not from a revenue cycle perspective? Do I encourage the use? Do I not? From a coding perspective, like you said, do I encourage the use? Do I not? Um, we well, don't be, have enough to to make it to make us comfortable with to be
1: honest the a- with you, with a cut in reimbursement, though, you can't you you can't afford to not use it, you know? Um, Agreed. and I will I will say that. In looking at the code structure, we were already, if you were a good coder, a good documenter as a physician, you were already being reimbursed for that already. Mm -hmm. And it does say in the code description, it is the inherent work of the EMM. So it's really interesting to know in my opinion, and we actually put it on the bottom of our little resource guide. Hey, in our opinion, you have to carve this out of your EM. Because if you put it on both, we mm. believe this could be interpreted as double dipping. Because to your point, Christine, I think that there's not enough guidance that you better just make sure that you're being ultra compliant so that you don't get all of your money recouped for all of these services.
0: Absolutely. Going into the unknown. And and that is the the biggest heartbreak is when we have to work with providers that are now fo- forced to have to pay back those monies. And and sometimes it's years later. I don't I don't know how Namus is doing right now, but I'm, I'm overwhelmed with audits during COVID for, for dates of service during COVID. Most of them are Medicaid audits where Medicaid is clawing back money during uh, COVID. And some of the things I'm seeing, like it, this was years ago. Now that money was hard to get to begin with because of quarantine, because of, of the circumstances. And now they're having to do overpayments because something wasn't clear during that transition period. And I'm having almost like PTSD, as we see G22 of, yeah, it's, uh, you know, like, I, I'm fearful for what it's going to look like three years from now. Right. I agree. How's it going to affect our budget neutrality? Like,
1: if we keep going like this, how
0: how do providers keep their doors open? So <laughs> well uh, yeah, I, I just <laughs> did an analysis of, of a practice ENM visits with the the conversion factor and the sequestration and the paygo and very similar to what you taught me at the Namus conference in December. And my providers were absolutely just devastated by that news. And And I
1: should have shared with um, you guys before our session today, I have a spreadsheet where you can just punch in your numbers It's a very crude spreadsheet. And I can I can send that over to Alexis. But it's a very crude spreadsheet. You can punch in your numbers, but if you see six thousand patients a year, you're going to lose just on the EM around six, around twenty-two thousand dollars this year. Plus, you lost about ten last year. So, for two years, you're going to lose around thirty-five thousand
0: dollars just in EM. I don't understand how we can keep going. the The lease, the leases on buildings continue to climb astronomically. Our utilities, the minimum wage has gone up. Of course, we needed some change there as well. But the overall cost of of doing business, the business of medicine, is is going to become challenging. Yes. And I think that's where um, we
1: really have to change the model. Um, I think we have to, I know they're going to come out with um, new telehealth codes, I really think we have to start pushing patients to telehealth. I also think I am really frustrated hearing physician practices say chronic care management is just too much. Suck it up buttercup We've got more. to learn we've got to learn how to integrate chronic care management, uh, priority a uh, principle, I always want to call it priority care management. principal care management, transitional care management. and let me tell you something. I want to give a hats off. I know we're, we're close on time, but I want to give a hats off to my personal nurse practitioner. Um, I had my gallbladder out back in November yeah. and I am an auditor. I'm sitting there, you know, one day and she's like, Hey, she texts me and she's like, we need to schedule a, a hospital follow-up visit. And I'm like, you're my nurse practitioner. You're my like PCP." And she's like, exactly transitional care, baby. And I'm <gasps> like, Oh, so here's the thing. Everybody who says all of these PCP, TCM, TCM are too hard. It's patient education. Absolutely. We need to educate the patient. If you go into the hospital, you need to let your PCP know. You need to call your PCP and schedule an appointment. Had I known, we're not educating patients the right way. So, I mean, it's, it's all in how we
0: get the education flowing to make sure that Absolutely. even the patients know. And that's gonna make a difference when you change the, the perspective of it so yes. that the patients are eager to have this. That's gonna be the difference. Uh, we at Sterling Global Solutions, we have a wonderful CCM handbook for those that are mm-hmm. actually part of the team, that care team. So what is CCM? What are the requirements of CCM? What are the top 10 chronic conditions? What are the activities of CCM that make a difference, right? Not Don't call somebody once a month and just say, how are you doing? Provide some great feedback. Provide some great tools based on that plan of care to make a difference in that condition. And like and even- you said, conditions should get better over time. We should expect that at some point, Maybe there's another condition or they graduate from chronic. Imagine that graduation from chronic care management. And, you know, if we think
1: about it with between CCM, TCM, PCM, all the CMs, we essentially have concierge medicine reimbursed by Medicare. If we physician practices, I'm not a we, Mm -hmm. but I'm almost a we, if we would implement it. And like you said, it just takes some good patient education because they will be
0: on board. Absolutely, absolutely. Shannon, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show today. I think that we made a huge difference. Um, Please remember to reach out to Shannon DeConda at NamUs. Um, look at the tools. You've got a couple of boot camps coming up too for E&M auditing um, and for general auditing. And you have some certifications that are just top of the line, guys. Please make sure that you're reaching out. Grab the G2211 um, resource card that NamUs has available for free. If you just go to namus.co, you're going to see that great resource card available for you. Grab that. It's a must-have, especially in this new evolving era we have. All right. Thanks for having me on, Christine. Thank you so much, Shannon. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for watching.